Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Today on the podcast, my guest is Stephanie Treese. Stephanie is a former nuclear submarine officer like myself. In fact, she was one of the first women ever to serve on U.S. Navy submarines. Her view on leadership is very unique, and you need to hear what she has to say. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to episode 12 of the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Stephanie Treese. Stephanie was one of the first women to serve as an officer on nuclear submarines. She was the reactor controls officer and later the damage control officer on the USS Florida, a nuclear power guided missile submarine. She is a qualified submariner and a qualified Navy nuclear engineer. I'm excited to talk to her and learn about her unique leadership experience. So Stephanie, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you for uh, having me on. So it's great, great to have you. Um, walk us through your journey to become a submarine officer. What sparked the interest for you and when did you discover it was something you really wanted to do? Um, sure. So um, I kind of tell my backstory, you know, looking into college, I think everybody, you know, in the millennial age can kind of uh, understand this concept of looking for a way to pay for school. Mm. And so that's how I got into the Navy at first, right? So I said, okay, what what are options? Oh, hey, there's a Navy scholarship and they give you a job afterwards, win-win. You know, highly recommend that for, for everybody to do. But uh, so went to Penn State. Uh, at that time, I didn't have a lot of background in the Navy and what was and wasn't open for me uh, as far as a career goes. But they do this... Um, summer training for midshipmen. So after my freshman year, I went and I got to go on a surface ship and I got to go on a, you know, fly airplanes and I got to go on a submarine for a day. And it was the USS Newport News. Mm, And we went out and I just, I don't know what it was. I just fell in love with it. Um, The guys were so, I don't know, they're just so technically minded and they're just so smart. And there was this brotherhood there. It was such a Mm. tight knit community. And one of the things, and this is, you know, no offense to any other, you know, branch of the Navy because everyone is wonderful there to serve. But, you know, for me growing up in a, in a very blue collar society, I, because I was becoming an officer, I still struggled with the whole rank separation, who's Mm. in charge of whom. Um, And in submarines, the best thing about it is dolphins on your chest, right? It's all about being qualified. Yes. And so that was the thing that just resonated with me is like, you prove yourself on that platform, I think the most. So that's why I just, you know, really wanted submarines. And I came back and said, oh, I love submarines. And they were like, oh, bad. Yeah, news. there's a problem. <laughs> you can't go. Stephanie, there's a problem. We haven't told you yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so, uh, so I was like, okay, well, what's similar, right? What what can I do that's similar? And it's funny because my degree is in aerospace engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are like, oh, you're going to be a pilot. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I just no. think space is cool. So I wanted to have some education there. But um, yeah, I I went for my SWO nuke, you know, surface nuclear mm-hmm. option. And I, I did that the whole way through. And then there was a lot of buzz my end of my junior year that Congress was having conversations about opening submarines up. And I was like, oh, it could happen, you know, say a couple prayers at night, like, you know, this could, this could be the thing. And, um, I went out on the Henry M. Jackson, um, which, you know, how they do with, uh, midshipmen, they send you on the best tours, the funnest tours. They dropped us off in Pearl Harbor and we went out, you know, the whole, the whole thing. So, you know, again, just loved it. Different platform, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a boomer. So, uh, but man, you know, same experience, just great, great people. So when I got back, did my, nuclear officer interview, still slow nuke because it wasn't open. Right. And, but I did mention to the Admiral uh, in our final interview, hey, uh, drop me down. Uh, 
uh, put me under subs if you can. <laughs> so they called me back about a month later and said, yeah, we opened it up. Come back down and interview for a sub spot. So, wow. Yeah. And that yeah, was, what, what year was that? So I got the call in 2010. I commissioned in, two, in May of 2011. And then I went to sub school in the fall of 2011. Wow. Wow. So yeah. this is the early, early, very early days of uh, women allowed on submarines, right? Yeah, for sure. And and I always try to be clear, you know, because the first group of women, they selected 12. And, right. and that was my senior year. So okay. I was in the second round of 12. Um, that would have hit the fleet. So there's 12 in front of me. And and I always say as it's better. I think some people maybe would be like, oh man, I just missed it by a year. But for me, I just yeah. wanted it to be the hype of it to be done right. so that I could right. do the work. Yes. Um, so yes. I was just grateful to those women to be like, and some of them, you know, I know, talk to, you know, friends of mine and, and they, are just phenomenal. But some of the things that they've experienced and had had to go through, you know, I'm grateful for them because that was less that I had to do. Right. Yeah. But you're still in that early, you know, even to be in the second wave, it's it's still a you're still someone someone, it's still a new thing. It's still something that the fleet isn't used to because there's a lot of senior enlisted that no, they're, they've always, they, they, they've been 20 years in the Navy <laughs> and now for the first, even in the first year, there's now a, a change in the way things are done and change is hard for people in anything. So, yeah. And it's, an int- it's interesting too, to just to note that, you know, when you talk about all oh, the first women, so the first women selected, I was not in the first women selected, I was in the second group, hmm. but when I showed up to my boat, there weren't any women there. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. So what was that experience like? So when you first got to the Florida, what was it like to be a new officer? First of all, I've been through that experience, right? You (laughs) show up and you're clueless. All right. I'm I'm just going to say that. No, you are. 100%. You don't have dolphins on your chest. You're not qualified. It's a big boat, right? It is. It's really Mm -hmm. impressive. And you don't even know where your rack is, right? And you show up. So what was that experience like showing up as a new officer? And uh, and I'll answer that question, too, is how many women are on board when you showed up? So, um, you know, Florida has two crews. Okay. So there are three women on gold crew. And then we were the first, my friend Liz and, and my friend Shannon, we were the um, first women on the blue crew. Okay. So when we showed up to the ship, I, you know, have to say one of the best things was that um, I had become really good friends with uh, Elizabeth Minahan uh, through power school, right? We were both engineering officers that were on Florida Blue. And just having each other support when you get there, just to have a buddy. Yeah, oh, big time. What do I do now? Where do I go? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always always used to tell the joke when I was on board. It's like, well, if there's not more than one woman, you know, how will we ever go to the bathroom? We need someone to go with. Right, <laughs> that right. was always the joke, right, you know, right. that they say women go and powder their nose together. That's right, exactly. Um, but uh, no, it was, it was, I would say, and I'm grateful to the Florida leadership and the crew for this. It was for me, and I guess it's hard for me to say because I wasn't, wasn't a man who's done it, so I don't have a good comparison. Um, but for me, I felt there weren't a lot of times when I first got there that I felt like, oh, I'm a woman on submarines. You know what I mean? It felt very organic. You know, you show up. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. You rely on everybody to help you. um, And you have pretty much zero respect regardless of what's on your collar because you're not qualified. Exactly Uh, right. Nobody cares. (laughs) As it should be. (laughs) As it should be. Right. Um, It's a merit-based culture, right? Uh, You know, you have to perform, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, The thing I love about it most. But... I guess maybe the only thing that was different is just, you know, and I always laugh about this. There, there were, there was preparation for the crew before we came. Right. So like you said, when you showed up, um, likely nobody pulled the whole crew together and said, right. Okay, here we go. John's going to show up. What do we right. do? Right. You so know, there was so. like a hush when you walked in a room, like, yeah. Oh, what is that? She's here. Yeah, she's here. This is the one they talked about, right? Yeah. So, yes. so that adds a whole nother element of that's what, that's why I thought I thought that'd be interesting to talk to you because 
it holds it adds a whole nother element to coming in and trying to be a new leader. So one is that you're new and you don't know anything. That's one. And it's yeah. difficult enough. Right. But then for everyone and then being something that is unique, that's never, you know, that that many of the crew hadn't experienced before. And that's a whole nother avenue. So it made I would imagine early on um, it, it made it much more difficult in terms of just trying to you know, when, when you walk in a room and everybody, every head turns, and you're like, oh, well, okay, I got to deal with this all, as well. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, because some, sometimes as an, I don't know, were you an ensign or a JG at the time or? Um, yeah, I think I wasn't, now I'm trying to think. I I can't remember because uh, it, it would have been close. I can't remember if close, I put yeah. on JG be, right before we went, I got aboard or if I was still an ensign and, and got my JG on board. Uh, but it was it was right around that time frame. Um, right. I want to say that maybe I had just pinned JG before okay. I I got there. But I know um, as an ensign, when I was an ensign, I wanted to hide. <laughs> I didn't want anyone to know where I was <laughs> no, right. because I was <laughs> clueless and I just wanted to get out of the way. I don't want to. I just don't want. I don't want to be in the way. <laughs> Give me an RPM. Let me read it. Right. Exactly. I'll stay in the back. Um, yeah, I think uh, the biggest challenge was was just breaking down. Um, people's preconceived notions mm-hmm. and things that maybe that they were, were told a lot of it stemmed around, um, fearfulness about, um, sexual harassment. Mm. Um, and there's not, and I would say even now society as a whole has, has work to do about what it means to, um, work respectfully with women and where that line is. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, you know, for me as a woman, I feel like I'm a person. I know where the line is. You can, you know, I can tell a dirty joke or you can, and we're okay, depending on, you know, how you know a person. But um, it's, it's clear that that line is very hazy for a lot of people. And so when people are scared, they defer to, okay, I'm just, I, I had a guy one time. I don't know. This makes you laugh. I had a guy one time um, that was walking down the missile compartment. Okay. Yep. And you know, it's, it's all, you know, just rows and rows and rows of huge missile tubes. Which, I uh, which level? Um, I was third, third level. Okay. Right. Okay. So, yeah. um, so, so I'm walking along and I, uh, I see him and he's way at the end of the hall and I go, I'm start. I'm just walking normal. And he, he ducks in between the missile tubes so that he doesn't have to pass me. Oh, right. Cause he's afraid that he's oh. going to get too close oh. to me. Right. And so these were sorts of little things. So, of course, me, I just come on like, you can walk past me. It's OK. <laughs> oh, so they so basically just they didn't even know how to react. They, they in, in a way, they yeah. were trying to overreact versus just being comfortable around another person. Yeah. And that's not yeah. their fault. Right. right because they right. were set up in that way. I think everyone's trying to be, you know, err on the side of caution, right, um, right. you know, let's just feel, feel this out and see how it goes. And I think some people were just like, okay, I'm not going to be the I'm guy. I'm not getting in trouble. You know, I'm not, you know, exactly. Just like you said, when you're an ensign, like, I just want to hide, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. But, you know, to me, it was all about just breaking down, you know, kind of the preconceived notions, things that maybe they were afraid of and just saying, look, right. I'm a person, you know, we respect each other mutually and we're a team. So that was the only challenge I think maybe you had to to overcome maybe more so okay okay so, yeah that's that's interesting buddy. that's a whole like I said it's a whole nother yeah. uh you know it's a whole nother side of the Rubik's Cube that you have to deal with right. coming in that's and doing right. this difficult job um so this is interesting so I started my first job as a reactor controls officer as well and that was your first oh, nice. well. so yeah. I wanted to ask you what that experience was like so you came, you go back to the engine room and, and uh, for me, at least I met my team in instrument alley for the first time. And so yep. I got a chance to meet them, understand what they did. And the first thing I noticed is that um, they were an extremely experienced group of sailors and we had a chief petty officer at the time too. Extremely talented, extremely experienced. And I was a ensign. I was a nobody, right? I had just showed yeah. up the boat. I'd been to you know, Duke Power School and Prototype and um, and Sub School, but pretty much that's all I had. So tell me about your experience. How did you lead as a young officer? How did you lead an experienced team? And, and what was your experience like? 
So I think, and this is across the board for, for anyone in leadership. And, and I find interestingly enough that when people get further away from um, being a new leader and building their repertoire and their, their concepts and and everything that they know, they sometimes lose this, this Mm. idea. It's about teamwork. And Mm. I say that and not like kind of a hashtag kind of way, but um, I guess I see being a leader, you're just another member of the team who brings a specific skill set. Oh my right? gosh. So, Have you read my book? Because that's why I talk no, about that all the time. No, I haven't. <laughs> but I will, but I will. But yeah, so but but that's the most important thing. And and mm-hmm. um, you know, I get it in the military, there are levels where people rank-wise are stacked, right? In a in a linear type way. Right. But when you're on the mm-hmm. deck plate with the guys and you have a chief who has so much experience. And then you have an, an LPO with, with, you know, same, a lot of experience and they both have, you know, amazing things that you can learn from their leadership and, and their knowledge. The goal is to come to that team and say, what can I contribute? Mm. Right. It's that servant leadership mm-hmm. concept that like, yes. it's a buzzword, but like, I really truly believe. And that's all I really did. You know, I got to know the sailors. All right. So you, for people who maybe don't know when you come on board. Yeah. I mean, I learned S five W reactor, right? That's an old reactor. It has nothing to do with the reactor that I was going to be, you know, uh, if you want to say in charge, I was never in charge of the reactor, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm in charge of, uh, and so really what it boiled down to. So what's my skill set I'm bringing, right? I can support the sailors. I have, um, the resources that they need on a personal level, right. To support them through whatever they have to go through so they can be focused on mission. Mm. I am the conduit to the upper leadership. So how do I work that relationship with my chief and, and LPO so that I'm effectively communicating their needs? Uh, because in that Navy structure, that's who speaks, right. Is the divo. Mm-hmm. So, so it's all about finding your, your kind of your niche and where you fit into your team instead of being like, okay, I'm in charge of you now right. because you're just, right. you're just not, and no leader should really see themselves in that way. Right. Well, and, there, and I think you touched on it. There are certain things that only the leader can do. There are certain things that only that o- the officer can do. And you're that conduit. You're also though taking care of, like you said, supporting them, making sure that yeah. they have what they need so they can carry out the mission. And the chief can't do that. And, you know, the leading petty officer can't do that. You're, that's your job as an officer. Part of that is that you, there's certain things that only you can do. Exactly. Just like in the same way, I cannot open a cabinet and do maintenance. Mm, right. Right. Exactly. You're not, you're, you know, a coach doesn't climb on the field and play basketball with his team. Right. They're, exactly. They're, they're in that, exactly. they're in the role to coach and, and show and, and do bigger picture kind of things. Right. Exactly. So we all, we all brought things to the table. You all had a different role you know, to do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So explain, this is, this is interesting to me because um, you're my first uh, submariner I've interviewed. So um, <laughs> explain to me the qualification process on board and um, what was that like for you and how did that help you become a better officer and a better leader? And that's, you can explain going through the qualification program and uh, yeah. getting your, getting your dolphins and what that meant. Yeah. So I had um, kind of a unique uh situation because when I showed up to Florida, she, um, we took her back out to sea for, you know, a short stint. And then we pulled into dry dock and started refit. Mm. Okay. So, um, when we got aboard, it was okay. How are we going to get these new officers qualified with the constraints that we have with, with refit, Mm. um, and, and not having, you know, a potential for sea time. So, so what that looked like is, is getting as much, of the sea time operational stuff done when we first got aboard and we were pulling out and just doing some, some work out at sea. And then when we pulled back into port, um, on the engineering side, leveraging on, uh, the simulators and trainers. Mm, Okay. And, uh, and then when we got to the Ford, you know, portion of the qualifications, they sent us out to ride the USS Michigan on the West coast. Okay. And so I, that's pretty standard. You normally get, you know, riders who come in and, and that we, was cool for me. We had riders too. When we, yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, be, because, you know, ships, they rotate out, you know, who's going to be important and you have to keep the fleet 
you know, prepared and qualified. So that was kind of just broadly how my qualifications went. Um, so I got qualified through engineering on Florida. I went over to Michigan, uh, worked on my qualifications for contact manager and, uh, you know, officer of the deck. And then I came back to Florida and officially got those pretty much all in one kind of interview and then got my submarines, my dolphins at the end. So, um, I guess it's one of those things I think would be great for, you know, corporations to take on when they break. Yes. Like, uh, <laughs> it's exactly what I say too a lot <laughs> is that, that there was a very unique experience because you, there was a very clear, so you're, you're a new employee. Think of it as yeah. you're a new employee. You show up to a ship uh, and you have to, and there's a process for if you're going to stand this watch, if you're going to do this duty, you have to go through all of these elements of proving that you can do these various tasks, and these various uh, things. And um, so when you get to that, you're, you're, you're not experienced, but you have done a bare minimum amount of effort and you've proven yourself to be able to be worthy to take that next level. Yeah. And I would say, you know, additionally to that, what it did is it broke down barriers for me, mm. right? Um, you know, the barriers we talked about when I first got on board, it broke down those barriers for me because, and for maybe people who are listening who don't know, you get a packet, right? And it's got all of the things you're going to do, you know, take a sample, you know, uh, whatever it is. And so you get to interact with the crew members one-on-one. Um, and so they can, you know, so many times when I'm doing, you know, cause they'll ask you questions and you do checkouts and they'll sign, you know, at, at that time, that was when they felt comfortable asking me questions right, or getting right. to know me on that level. So I think it was really, uh, you know, to my advantage in that process, uh, to, to get one-on-one time with, with the whole crew and sit down and say, okay, what do you do? Right. Mm, what, yeah, what is your yeah. job like? Your and that's why yeah. I would love to see corporate, you know, structures take that on. Now I was blessed because I came into my current company, Parmarine, mm-hmm. um, as a, as a quality engineer and my team there, I mean, they were very much in that vein. And actually my, my supervisor was a, was a former quartermaster on a submarine. So, so he, so he set me up with, I sat down with every single functional group, you know, from, Mm -hmm. I sat with the receiving clerk, saw what she did. I sat with, you know, our inspectors and I, I, our engineers, and I learned what everybody did. And that just helps you break down those barriers where you feel siloed. Yeah, you know, yeah. and say, okay, how can we support each other? And if you understand what the other person's doing. So I think, I don't know, the, the submarine community has it right with qualifications. I think that they, that's how you forge, you know, just really, really good submariners and then ultimately really good employees, you know. Is having that, that basic knowledge and, uh, and, and getting a chance to meet everybody and having that yeah. interaction. So yeah, it's important. Thanks for listening to Deep Leadership. We'll be right back after a brief intermission. Hey, leaders. If you're anything like me, you drink coffee to power through your morning. But what about in the afternoon? For me, I start getting a little sleepy and unfocused around 2 p.m. So I like to do something to get me recharged and refocused. I've tried a bunch of different energy drinks. I've even tried that stuff that's supposed to last five hours. Most are expensive and cause you to crash later in the afternoon. I was introduced to a, a really good product by a fellow veteran. He told me to try Strike Force Energy. Strike Force is a veteran-owned company founded by a Navy SEAL, and their products are all made in the USA. Strike Force Energy is a liquid flavor pack that you can add to any beverage. It has zero calories, zero carbs, and zero sugar. Each pack contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. I actually add two packs and a liter of water in the afternoon. I get my water, my energy, and the great taste of Strike Force throughout the afternoon. I personally prefer the original flavor. Strike Force Energy is offering a discount to all the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to strikeforceenergy.com and enter the discount code I have the watch, one word, I have the watch, for a 20% discount on your order. Strike Force Energy, fuel for your fight. thing I, I saw in, in the interview, um, the, the write-up that was in uh, Task and Purpose, uh, that uh, website, <laughs> yeah. they said, you, you said something in that article, which I thought was good. It said, 
you talked about the importance of showing up, being present, being yourself, and being authentic. Why are those important for leadership? Well, I think a lot of times people think uh, leaders are untouchable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have seen, have had some leaders in my life that acted that way. Um, And I think that it's ineffective. And, you know, even just as a person, and I truly do think that every person can be a leader. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't matter what your role is. Leadership (laughs) isn't about um, authority, Okay, it's not about what role you have in your company or what role you have on the ship. Um, and I learned this in submarines early on. You know, I'm I'm on the con. I'm the officer of the deck. We're on mission. I'm right. you know whatever in charge if you want to. But at the end of the day, that uh, you know, third class petty officer sitting at the sonar stack is going to save my life. Right. You know, and so that's to me, it's being authentic and, and showing that you're fallible. Mm-hmm. is important, right? So, so I, I hope that if you talk to anybody on my watch team, they would say, yeah, Stephanie owns up to her mistakes. Mm-hmm. Stephanie's a little bit weird, a little bit silly. And I feel like that breaks down barriers to allow people to give you the important feedback mm-hmm. that you need. I mean, there's no, mm-hmm. you know, system out there that does, that operates well without feedback, right? You think about just, you know, a basic motor, right? to run it effectively, you know, through a controller, you need feedback to know where it's at and what it's doing. So um, I guess that's really where it stems from is just being who you are and finding out how you can better serve the team that you're on. That's just, that's leadership. Right. Right. And so, and I guess the, the second layer to that and just speaking, because I was, when I was giving the, the speech, I was speaking to a group of women is that a lot of times there's this thought that, well, you'll be successful if you do it the way a man would do it. Mm, interesting. Um, you know, like, oh, well, women tend not to speak up in boardroom meetings, but men do. So they get more attention. So you need to speak up more in boardroom meetings. But I would challenge that concept and say, no, you need to find out how you can be effective in the way that you communicate um, or else it comes off uh, artificial. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that. I, yeah. Well, it's almost like, you know, we're going through coronavirus situation right now. And I've been watching yeah. how some leaders have been handling it with their people. And the authentic leaders are communicating directly with their people and and seeing how they're doing and making sure they understand what's going on. They don't know all the answers, but they're trying to, you know, they're being present and they're helping their people through this difficult time. And then I see the ones that are trying to be fake and they're sending out these long emails about what they can and cannot do and who they're going to. And it's almost like they're not, they they don't have a relationship and they don't have, um, and they're not authentic. They're kind of trying to be like a fake version of a leader. They're trying to be a, yeah. you know, a, a plastic, you know, leader. And the thing is, leaders, we're not plastic people, right? We're people no. and we have relationships. And I think what you're saying is that we have to have those authentic relationships with the people that work with us. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of what you're describing and, you know, no offense to anyone who, who considers themselves this, but um, what you're describing is, is a manager or management, mm, yes, right? Yeah. To manage, you need to put it clearly, concisely, you know, black and white out on the street. This is the policy. But to lead is to put people at ease to understand what they're going through and to help them through those challenges. And I'll say, you know, um, at Par Marine and Par Systems at large, our CEO, I mean, he put out a voice, a recorded voice message because they're located, um, you know, up north. So it's, uh, it's a little bit, and we're in Georgia. So, um, you know, we're a little bit, have a location, a gap, but he sent out, you know, just a succinct, just really great voice message to, to everyone in their email that you click it. You can hear what he has to say, starts off with just talking about family and how he cares about us. And so that's, you know, just encouraging to see in, in the corporate, you know, world as well that you know people do really care and we have really good leaders out there that's good um, that's good to hear yeah yeah because yeah, i've i've seen a mix i did 22 years in corporate america <laughs> and i saw a mix of people that There's really cared and those that didn't care or yeah. that, that struggled to understand about caring so <laughs> no you're right no no you're absolutely right but 
So I think it might have been in the same speech you gave, but I read this online and I thought this is interesting. You said, <clears throat> I'm using your quotes to you. <laughs> so you're famous now. I found this online. It says, oh, yeah, that was by accident, by the way. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> you said leadership is much more than shouting out orders. It's about showing empathy and love. And I actually have a whole chapter of that in my book. Um, yeah. and, and Donald Miller said this. He said, great leaders aren't afraid to love their teams. So this is interesting because, as you just said, uh, managers manage, leaders lead. And I think that you've touched on something here in, in, in what you said in that speech. So why is this so important in leadership to love your team? So I guess, you know, it started off for me just being just obvious in and that J.O. role on mm -hmm. submarines, okay. right? Because <clears throat> that is a type of job. And some people, sometimes when you tell them this, they don't believe you, but I mean, genuinely, even in port, somebody is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Christmas, Thanksgiving, it doesn't matter. And your whole role that you bring to the table as a junior officer, because you're not as technically savvy as the people who you are supposed to be leading, is that personal side, mm -hmm. right? So you have to genuinely care about the people um, who are going through things like how do you keep somebody on task when they're going through a custody battle for their children, right? Um, mm -hmm. You have to care about that person at a certain level to help support them and, and, and put in the effort it takes. You know, how do you care about a person who has, you know, you know, starts to, to pull away from the group if you don't actively go out there and grab them by the mm -hmm. shirt and pull them in and say, why are you backing yourself out here? Um, and they say, well, you know, I felt really isolated. I feel depressed. And then this is where you step in. That's the time. You can't, you will not be effective if, if you don't genuinely care about what happens mm. to the people on your team. And even if to boil it down to a more, I guess, black and white type conversation for people who are analytical like that, you know, people are your biggest resource in business, mm. right? And so if I, I see sometimes, you know, investments in, oh, well, we need more welding machines, right? Uh, because they're wearing out. But where is that replenishment for the people mm. who, who do the welding? You know what I'm right, saying? Right. And so that's really where you have to bring that kind of concept in. And, and it's so important to actually care about your people um, because they're, they're your biggest asset. And, and frankly, if you are managing, right, you end up not being effective. You're just not going to be effective because you're going to say, you know, you need to do this. And they are so overwhelmed with their mother passing away that right. they can't right. do the things you're, you're directing them to do. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. as, and you build trust that way too, right? Because mm. leadership is a relationship. Right. So how do you have a good relationship? Read it in any book. They're going to say trust. How do you build trust? Right. You extend the hand out and you say, I care about you and the decisions I have to make. Because sometimes you have to make hard decisions. Right. You you have a division of people and you got to talk to your chief and say, OK, who are we picking for Christmas dinner? Right. right? Who's right. who's going to miss working? it with their family? we right. got to know. That's a hard decision. Oh, we're about to go to see everybody's planning on seeing their families before we go. Something breaks. We have to stay late and Who's we have staying? to roll right into yeah. deployment. Mm -hmm. Who's staying? And if if your team knows that you love them, regardless of the hard decisions you have to make, people might not be happy about it, but they know that you did it, you know, with their best intent at heart. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, and, that's great. And, yeah. That's really good. I, I really appreciate that because <clears throat> we don't see it as much. I mean, I went to... I have an MBA, right? I went to business school. Yeah. You never hear you never hear the word love mentioned. You never hear the word about <laughs> no. hearing. Sometimes they call it soft skills, right? Oh, those are soft skills. Really? Actually, they, then why are they so hard for leaders to do in a lot of cases? Exactly. No, yeah, that's, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's good. I like what you just said. Leadership is a relationship and you can't take a cookie cutter approach to leadership. Every person's yeah. important. Every person is led differently, managed differently. So you have to know them. If you don't know them, how can you manage them? So exactly. how, can you, how can you deal yeah. with them? So that's really, exactly. really good. Well, what advice, let me ask you another question. What, what advice um, would you give to new leaders? Um, someone that just maybe recently got promoted. They're now in a leadership role. They have 
a small team working for them? How can they become an effective leader? Um, I'd say step one, feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Right off the gate. You do not want to put up an air of, I know best, listen to me, right? Mm. And um, you've probably been a part of watch teams where maybe that was the case where, you know, somebody's, you know, all communications go through me, right? And, and you know, we've seen in, in some, some mishap reports where the guy at the lowest level knew the right answer uh, and he yeah. couldn't get it to the leader, you know, he couldn't get it to the decision makers. Right. And so right. I'd say, you know, step one, you just need to be, you need to just foster that open communication, that feedback. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, hey, uh, I just wanted to tell you the way that you said that in the meeting was a bit harsh, right? Put down your offense, right? Just put it aside. Uh, just get just get away from being defensive and, and, really take that on. And even if you don't agree with it, that's okay. Not everybody's opinion is, is, you know, factual, but perception is reality. I used Mm -hmm. to hate that term, but now I've really embraced it It because it just speaks to, you need to figure out why do they feel that way and what can I do to bring them on board? So that'd be step one. And then I guess, you know, step two is you don't want to come into a new group. Let's say you're, uh, I don't know, a new CEO, right? One of the things you can tell, and you could probably, you've probably seen this, you get a new captain, right? And you can tell if they're going to be a good captain, and this is going to shock people, but if they don't change anything for the first three months, they're going to be a good captain. Yes. Right? (laughs) Have you read my articles? (laughs) (laughs) They change nothing because it's so important to see. And just like we talked about, you know, everybody's different. Everyone's unique. Just because it worked at your old company doesn't mean it's going to work at your new company. Right? right? Because there are so many layers to to a human being about, you know, what were their upbringing? What are their experiences? How do they react to, you know, given direction? How do they react to constructive criticism? All those things come into play. So when you get there, you just sit back, get your notebook out, write down the things that you may want to tackle, and then start asking questions about those, learn those things. And then, okay, you know, within the first three to six months, you know, just, just play low key, learn what's going on and then, you know, execute a plan. And I guess maybe the third thing besides, you know, uh, start building that trust with your people and, uh, you know, don't change anything, uh, bulldoze right at the beginning is, uh, you know, really you need to have a vision. Mm. You need to have a vision because people, um, they may say, oh, I know what my job is. So especially in the corporate world, because roles are so clearly defined, right? On submarines, as you know, right? Hi, I'm the DCA. Oh, but I'm also doing operational safety and I'm also in charge of, you know, collateral duties, <laughs> all the collateral duties. And I'm the party, I'm the wardroom party guy. Right. And, also, <laughs> and also I'm a firefighter and also I'm right. a firefighter. Right. 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 When, when it hits the fan. So that's a, a concept that is less so in corporate life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's about giving people a compass with which they can measure their decisions off of. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. it's, this is our clear statement. I've seen crazy mission statements. I've seen crazy vision statements, but it's got to be something, um, something that people can repeat, something that somebody could put on their desk. And when they are by themselves and they need to make a decision, they need to make the right decision and they should be empowered to do so because that's what good leadership is. The lowest level makes a decision. They look at the thing, the, the vision statement you put out and they can make that choice quickly. Right. Four words. I always say a vision should, you should say, be able to communicate that in four words. And if you can do that every day with your employees and they know, and you give them the, the authority to make decisions at the lowest level, and then they know the guiding principles, then they're going to make the right decision every time. And then the whole organization right. moves in the, in the same direction. And uh, yeah, you just, you just nailed on just about everything I write about leadership. You've said oh, good. That, one, <laughs> that one little uh, uh, question. So maybe good. it's something unique to submarine officers. I'm not I sure now. Now, that I'm, now I'm kind of thinking that uh, we all were brought up a certain way then, I think. it sounds Well, like, yeah. I always say, too, because people, you know, when, when you leave as a junior officer, you're fairly young, 
Right. right? So um, I'm 31. And sometimes I go into boardroom meetings or larger meetings and I'm a 31 year old woman. Um, I have a four year old, you know what I mean? So I get, sometimes I get that, well, does she really know what's going on? But I always say, you know, from submarining, especially, you don't know the the fires that we've been forged in, yeah, right? You don't yeah. know the decisions that we've had to make on a daily basis, the the crises that you come across with, how are we going to man? How are we going to, you know, perform? And all the inspections, for going to say, and preparing for those and just saying, you know, you see a lot of people take, you know, get on the defensive about inspections. And you're like, no, this is here to make you better, right? You need this feedback. You need to hear it. You you need outside, you know, influence. And so, yeah, I think it's a, submariners were a unique bunch for sure uh yeah, but yeah. well it's 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 it actually was hard in my career as early on because i didn't i had trouble respecting leaders because in my brain i kept thinking how many times have you taken a warship to periscope depth you know yes. and it's like <laughs> you've never done that before oh okay then you're trying to tell me what to do so i actually had trouble in the early days as a as a you know as a young engineer working in corporate america because i had a hard time with respect because I respected our captain, right? He had been in my shoes. He had done everything that I had done and so much more. He was an 06, right? He was, you know, he was like a God. He had done all these great, amazing things. And then I'm working for this guy who, he manages a department. He's an engineering manager because he, because he was been an engineer most of his life, right? He hadn't done these really cool, you know, adventurous things and uh, difficult things. And so it was hard in the early days, sort of switching gears and say, okay, all right, maybe, you know, Maybe yeah. he hasn't taken taken a boat to Periscope Bay, but he's probably a good guy. I'm going to give yeah, him a right. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he probably, and again, like we talk about, you know, contribution. It's funny. If you asked my uh, my second exo, if you called him, Joe Spinks, call him on the phone right now. He's going to, you're going to say, tell me one thing about Stephanie. <laughs> he's going to say, she holds her leadership to an excruciatingly high level, mm. a high standard. Nice. I have this vision of what I think leadership should be and what it is not. And I, I too struggle when I see management, right? When right. I think it right. should be leadership. Right. And so I think, you know, in the same vein, it's like, oh, well, you know, you've been here a while, but you haven't seen or done, but, but then, then that's part of us reminding ourselves that everybody brings something to the table. Exactly. You know, everybody exactly. has, there's something yeah. he can do that I cannot do. And I, need his feedback to be successful. Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, it's true. So it's really interesting. So we're kind of all cut from the same cloth, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. (laughs) So um, my last question for you, and I ask this of all my guests, um, in your opinion, what are some characteristics of a great leader, a leader worth following? Hmm. Okay, so I, uh, I wrote this down because I think it's like, just so important, and I didn't want to miss anything. So okay, okay. Uh, great leader. Here we go. Read it straight off my list. The first okay. thing I put, you know, big, bold letters, love for people, right? I love love for people. That's number one. Um, I put uh, motivation, right? You have to have a, if you're going to, you know, be a leader, it's self-motivation, right? Because you're going to come to, um, you're going to come to a place where you're not going to be able, you, you feel like you are stuck, right? Your team is Mm -hmm. stuck. There's a challenge. You have to be able to self-motivate and let that permeate to the rest of the group. You know, uh, the next one was vision forward thinking. Uh, I think that in leadership, you never want to be reactive, right? Cause you can drive in. I always, when I'm at work, I always use ship driving analogies. Yeah. Right. Um, so you are over here driving along and, there is a, a, a sh- another ship coming at you, all right? So you're going to maneuver to get out of his way, but you just drove yourself onto the rocks because you're in a channel, right? Right. right. So you need to understand a clear picture, a high-level picture, and you need to have a vision, a nav plan, right, with maybe succinct, outlined, if this happens, then, you know, and you have to cultivate a group that is flexible enough to deal mm-hmm. with, you know, when you have a f- flooding in the engine room, right? Right, right. <laughs> you have to be flexible enough to, to deal with with catastrophes. Um, I put communication as a big one. That's a buzzword, I know, but it's not so much. People think they're communicating because they're talking. Mm. 
And that's not what communication is, right? Listening is the biggest part. And people say that, but it's really, really true. Um, you have to cultivate that feedback. Put, and anything you put out has to be clear and concise. Mm. So you have to be very clear. A good listener and, and a good team member. That's the other thing I have on my list. You need to be a good team member, support your team and what their needs are. Um, you know, you need to, to, to block for the quarterback. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Tell me what that, what you mean by that though? I, I, I understand that because I've been in roles like that where I felt like that was my main role. So what, what do you say that? So what does that mean? Yeah. So for, for me, what I mean is, okay, so I work for a manufacturing company mm-hmm. and we have different functional groups that all bring a piece, right? We have an engineering, we have our, our processing group, we have our quality group, we have our, our manufacturing floor welding, assembling. And so as you're trying to move this product through, because these are custom pieces we build for the Navy, you you have to identify early on what the hurdles are going to be. And then you either have to train your team to be able to jump hurdles, or you need to get out there, roll up your sleeves and push the hurdles out of the way. Mm. Right. So that's really what I mean is, um, you know, a, a good example would be even this, this pandemic that we have right now, right? That's something that I don't think anyone really knew was coming, but now that it's here, it's okay. How can we keep working? How can mm-hmm. we keep our business going? Mm-hmm. And, and, and how, how can we think about ways to be creative and, and keep things flowing? Okay. So where are we putting people, uh, you know, any challenge that they bring to you and there, and that goes right? Your team has to bring those things that they're seeing so that you can go in and say, you know, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this, move it in this direction. Is everyone feel good about that decision? Yes. Risks. Okay. Let's move forward. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I mean is just keeping, keeping all those day-to-day distractions or problems at bay and making a plan. So people can can carry out the mission. You're you're blocking yeah. for them so they can keep moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. I love that. So, uh, have you written a book yet? Are you thinking about writing a book on leadership <laughs> because you have a lot of really good insight? Oh, thank you. No, I uh, I uh, I actually always joke that you know I'm an engineer through and through. I can't spell to save my life. Right. Uh, so I'm with you. Know, you. Writing <laughs> writing is a challenge, but I guess you know. Uh, Microsoft Word is probably spell check. Is probably spell check is my friend. <laughs> but no, I mean, I had, hadn't really. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm somewhat young in my career, and yes, in summer training, I've learned so many things. And but I feel like I'll continue to learn those things as long as I jot down the things that I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe when I get to a certain point in my career, I'll look back and want to put something together. Maybe so. I, <laughs> I I'm, I'm 52, and that's when I started writing uh, writing all this stuff down because yeah. I realized the submarine life on a submarine really established a really strong foundation of leadership that I've used throughout my whole life. And, and I realized that in my fifties, like, wow, I have a really unique experience. And uh, so I wanted to write it down. I want to start talking about it. That's why I started this podcast because I want to talk about it because you can be a great leader and, and leadership and you've touched on it. Leadership is about relationship. Leadership is about a, a love of people. It's treating people with respect and, and uh, being there for them. And I, and I, I really, um, it's really interesting. I didn't expect that our conversation would go in that direction, <laughs> but, um, but it's really unique. And I think it's because we, um, we started our leadership careers in, in sort of the tight confines of a, of a submarine at sea, which is a very unique and very special world. And people say, well, you're a military guy, so you must think that, you know, everything is top down. And I'm like, no, I was a submariner. That's a whole yes. different world. <laughs> That's right. It's way it's way different. If if you've never been called out by a uh, by a third class petty officer for being wrong, then you yes. probably weren't in submarines. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's definitely you know we you know I tell people we you know we wore the same uniforms, we ate the same food, we, we you know we had we had our own quarters sort of, we, but it, I mean, it's just so tight that there was, everybody was, yeah. you were in, I mean, I was Mr. Rang or Lieutenant Rang for, you know, 80 days in a row. And it's just like, I just wanted to hear my first name. I wanted to get <laughs> off the boat just to hear my first name again. You know? so, That's right. That's so. right. Yeah. Well, very good. I really appreciate this. Uh, it's been and really insightful and I hopefully 
I'll, hopefully all of our listeners will, will, will pick something up from this. So I really appreciate your time. So thank you. No, yeah, I thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, like I said, it all kind of happened by accident. And uh, I mean, happy accident, I guess. But uh, thank you for having me on. And I'm honored to be your first submarine officer interview. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think I'm gonna have to have more. So uh, yeah, I think this yes. is really, really good. And it's good to know, because you served probably uh, 20 years after me. And, yeah. uh, and, and it's good to see that, um, you know, the, the, the culture, the, the way that it, the way people are led is, is the same as when I was in. So it's good to see that tradition is kind of strong and sta- standing, uh, still standing strong. It's good to see that. Oh yeah. Brothers of the Finn, right? That's Brothers what they of the say. Finn. That's or my right. first sister of the Finn, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's really neat. I really appreciate uh, you coming on. I really thank, thank you for all your insight. I think it's really good. And so leaders, if you're listening in, hopefully you gained a lot from her uh, in this discussion we had with Stephanie, especially about, about leadership being a relationship. I think that's really important uh, that, um, you know, love of people, taking care of people, having really good communications, uh, being clear and concise. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that you can take away to become a great leader. And really, that's all what this podcast is about, is to be- trying to become a better leader. So thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. All right. Well, that's it for today. So thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.